Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. We got some big things happening in the world, especially here uh, on Tuesday. And this has been a crazy year. And it's been a year of the entire world. It's been a year of our, our nation. Been a year of even here locally, some things feeling like they're just upside down. And so um, a few weeks ago, there was some things on Twitter that were happening. I was just kind of watching a line of conversation. I'll just, I'll just tell you what it was. Remember um, a couple weeks ago when Sean Foyt came to town and he held the worship event on Public Square Park in Nashville and several thousand people showed up and I th- some of you even were there. I was uh, out of town that day. I was coming back from being in town on that later that night, I believe. And uh, th- that was amazing. It was cool to see what God is doing there. And there's a lot of different opinions about whether or not people should be gathering like that and they're not, you know, public or they're not social distancing and they're not wearing masks and all that. And there's even division about it inside the church. And I saw somebody on Twitter, a uh, celebrity status person, they have a blue check mark, you know, they're a blue check mark person. That means they're, they have a lot of followers. And uh, this person's a believer and they, they said, you know, worship events like this in vanity, um, it's one of the most demonic things I've ever seen. And I said to myself, you know what, you are allowed to disagree with whether or not people should be social distancing and having these kinds of events. You should, you're allowed to disagree about the mask thing. But when you call something like that demonic, and I have to examine the fruit of that kind of event, and I go, I'm sorry, there's nothing demonic about that. People are getting born again. People are getting baptized. That's not demonic. So I reached back out to this person, I tweeted at them, and they had some haters tweet back at me, I didn't really engage. But then I had another person, a, a, a friend of mine who lives out in Seattle, he saw the interchange on Twitter, he reached out to me on private message, and he says, you know, I feel like this is a, a more nuanced conversation than just if they should have it or not have it. And I said, okay, well, let's have that conversation. So we, we chatted back and forth, and it was a fantastic just interchange and conversation between the two of us. And I just reminded my friend, I said, no matter, you know, the, the issues with COVID this year, no matter the issues with, with um, racial unrest and political unrest that we have in the nation right now, that everything that seems upside down, the kingdom of God is not upside down. Jesus is not shaken by any of this. He's not shaken by one iota of it. He still sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and for me. He's not moved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I just want us to be reminded of that in these next coming days and even whatever happens following the election. Jesus is not shaken. So the people of God don't have to be shaken. Amen? Because he's the one that we follow. He's the one that we serve. He's the one that we give our affections to, not a political leader, not this ideology. We give our affections and our attention to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are of, not of this world, just like Jesus said that he wasn't of this world. We are of another world. We are citizens of heaven and ambassadors to the earth. Amen? That's a freebie. It has nothing to do with the message. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I just pray right now as we dive into your word here that you open our understanding, open the eyes and the ears of our understanding, that we hear clearly, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us in this message as we read your word, and that when we leave here today, that we will be different than when we came in, that we will have widened our scope of who you are, Lord, and that we will have widened our scope of who you are calling us to be in you, that we will be even more united with you, and we will be united with each other. Amen? In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about this in the series Roots, or Rooted, that, that roots have to come before fruits. It was like a race. It's like, do I get a $5 gift card to Starbucks for that? No. If you are on the dream team, you understand what that's about. But like, we, we have little contests and things like that from time to time. But yeah, roots come before fruits. And there's an importance of planting yourself. We've talked about this. Number one, in the soil of God's word, it's this important that we plant ourselves in the soil of intimacy, meaning like the secret place, the private place of prayer where you develop intimacy between you and God. And we have to plant ourselves also, we talked about last week, in the soil of serving. But there's one more soil that the Lord has for us to plant our roots in, for us to grow so that we can bear much fruit, much fruit that lasts is the way that Jesus said it. And that is the soil of community. Everybody say the soil of community. Now I want you to look at the person next to you and say, we need each other. Now look at the person on the other side of you, which is your second choice, the second place person and say, we need each other too. Throughout this series, we've been kind of touching on the life of David and seeing how God grew David's roots, how God planted him in each one of these soils that we talked about, the soil of God's word, the soil of intimacy, the soil of serving. God also planted David in the soil of community, which for David... And for you and I, for, for us, there, there is nutrients. There are vital nutrients that we get in our root system by being planted in the soil of community. In 1 first, first Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, it says this. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all of his relatives joined him there. Now, you know, we've got the holidays coming up, and we've got Thanksgiving coming up, and it's a big, you know, family holiday, and some of us are really looking forward to that, and some of us are not necessarily looking forward to that as much, because all of our brothers and all of our relatives are going to be there, just like David had all of his brothers and relatives going to be there too. In addition to that, others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. Now, praise God. God's raising you up as a leader, David, and he's got a mighty company of 400 men to, to be with you and serve, you know, the Lord's purposes. And they're half of these, part of these people are your relatives that you get along with just so perfectly all the time. And part of these people are 
people who are in trouble, <laughs> people who are in debt, and people who are just plain grumpy. They're just discontented, right? And so we're talking about the soil of community and how God wants us to be surrounded by people that will cultivate us and mature us. And we get this picture in our head of what it's supposed to look like. And in our head, we think, man, everything in my community is gonna be perfect. It's gonna be awesome. You know, they're gonna be great leaders. They're gonna be part of my community. I'm gonna have the perfect balance of, of people in my community with all the different Enneagram numbers represented. It's gonna be perfect. And we're gonna have all the, 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 the you know, the, the color test. We're gonna have all of the, the personality colors represented. And we're gonna have all the spiritual gifts represented. And it's just gonna be awesome. And we think that, and, and that sounds great, doesn't it? But my, my, my question is, is like, what world are you living on? What planet are you living on? Right? Because as much as all of us would love to have that kind of utopian kind of community, that's not how it works. Now, I believe that's where God is taking us to, but that's not how it works just every single day. God gave David a band of misfits to live with and to lead. That was his soil of community. And it was in this soil of community, this band of misfits, his brothers, his relatives, people who are in trouble, people who are in debt, people who are just, just discontented. It was in that soil of community that God was able to do some things in David's life that he couldn't do anywhere else. Wow, praise God, I just believe that word for me. I just claim that over my life. It's not a feel-good word, but it's the truth. And I think we need to examine here and, and get sometimes get our head out of like the, these um, preconceived notions of what this perfect picture looks like. And we need to look right at what's around us and see what God is doing right in front of us, even though it doesn't look perfect. We think it's just gonna be awesome and harmonious, but it's not always that way. And even though David's soil of community may not have been, again, as ideal as what any one of us would have chosen for ourselves, this is what David chose to say. Psalm chapter 16, verse three. This is David's words. He says, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Wait a second. You mean your brothers who you argue with at Thanksgiving dinner? You mean these people who are in trouble, these people who are in debt, these people who are just discontented. This is what David chose to say. David knew that the community that God was planting him in was necessary for God's process of growth. And so instead of just being bummed out all the time because his community wasn't as perfect as what he may have imagined, he saw what God was doing, what God was developing in it and through it. And in this particular instance, he chose to say, it's excellent and he chose to delight in it instead of, instead of having a bad attitude about it. You guys know that old Tom Cochran song? You know, uh, Rascal Flatts covered it for the Cars movie. Life is a highway, I wanna ride it. Y'all gotta do better than that, come on. You're probably thinking, I gotta do better than that. Life is a highway. We're riding it all night, all night long. And we're on this road and on the road, we ought to have guardrails on one side of the highway and the other side of the highway, right? To keep us on the road. 
And one of these guardrails that we have to keep us on the highway of life ought to be God's Word. Like we try to, we're veering off, you know, like my wife's new car, when you start, you know, come over on the white line, come over on the yellow line a little bit, it has a little indicator. It's like, you need to take a break. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm just not a very good driver. <laughs> And it even has a, a setting in the car you can hit, and it will like do some steering correction for you if you don't have your blinker on. That's pretty cool. But you know, you're driving, and uh, you, you've got these guardrails, and God's Word helps keep you on the highway. And then over here, we've got another guardrail, and that's community. And that's helping you stay on the highway to where God wants you to go, where He wants you to be. Here in American culture, we celebrate individualism. We don't really place the proper value on community. There's this missionary named Sarah Lanier. She wrote this book called um, Foreign to Familiar. And in this book, she talks about, one of the things she, she talks about is she's noticed, oh, there's motion at my door. All right, we'll turn that off. Thank you. Um, she talks about, she's noticed there are some differences between cold climate cultures and warm climate cultures. In cold climate cultures, people tend to value the truth. They're always seeking just what is right, what is truth. The truth is the thing that matters the most in cold climate cultures. In warm climate cultures, she's made this observation that community and relationships are more important than anything else. So there's this one time she was in Northern Europe and she was getting ready to fly to South America. And she, she realizes I got to get my work done before I get to South America. Like all of my tasks, all the things I'm going to sit and have to do in my computer, all my emails, all that kind of stuff. I got to get this done while I'm here in this cold climate culture, I gotta get my task done because once I get to South America, I've, I'm not gonna have time for that because my attention is gonna be taken up with people and not just tasks. So she does that, she gets all of her ducks in a row, she flies down there to South America, her host family meets her, shows her her room where she's gonna stay. And in the bedroom there, of course, there's a bed, but then next to the bed is another mattress laying on the floor. And they begin to explain to her that they would never, ever imagine, like just they, they, they couldn't fathom that she would have to spend the night alone in her room. And so they, they found somebody that would sleep beside her. <laughs> because in their culture, in their culture, privacy means unwanted isolation. And so they're like, well, we, we wouldn't imagine that you ever have to sleep by yourself. So we found, you know, this other young lady, she's going to sleep here next to you in the same room with you. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, your eyes are like, uh, yeah, that's how I feel about it too. And so we, we've got the, these differences in our cultures, right? And even in uh, certain African tribal cultures, they, they don't even have a singular possessive pronoun in their vocabulary. Let's like, um, a, Jesse took her guitar. It's like saying like, for, for me, I'd say, this is my guitar. 
they don't have a word for that. They would say, this is our guitar. Now, if you ever come to my house and wanna play my guitars, I'll let you play them, but you're not leaving my house with them because they're mine. <laughs> I do have that word in my vocabulary. <laughs> but you can come over and play them. You're just not leaving with them. There's this missionary in Kenya. He said that everything, because of this, because of relationship, just everything takes longer there in Kenya. And uh, he says, you know, if I have a 15 minute walk to the grocery store, I plan an hour and a half. Because I would never, in a million years, in that culture, you would never, again, fathom that as you're walking toward the grocery store, that if you meet somebody that you know on the side of the road, you would stop and talk for 15 minutes. Each time you met somebody on the road to the grocery store that you knew. He said this the one time he went to the bank and he's in line waiting the bank. He's, you know, several people back in line from the bank teller. And all of a sudden, all these people that are in front of him waiting in line, they all just start to like, just kind of peel off and start leaving the bank. And he's like, what's wrong? He's like, there's no money. I mean, is the bank closing? What's going on? And, he, and the one person that he stopped and he asked about that, they just said, oh no, the guy at the front of the line is good friends with the guy behind the counter. And they're just taking some time to catch up. So we know that that's going to be a while. So we'll just go do some other things and we'll come back to the bank later. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around something like that, you know, because why? We live in such a task driven individualistic culture, right? And so the idea of having a stranger sleep on the floor next to me doesn't sound comforting at all. It, it sounds awkward. And, and, and changing my schedule of errands just because the guy at the front of the line knows the guy behind the counter and wants to chat at the bank, I don't understand that. Like, I don't think so. Like, hey, there's plenty of time for that. It's during non-business hours, right? But listen, I, we gotta recognize that that community-driven cultures, they carry a value for relationships that sometimes we have a deficiency in and that our Western culture lacks in. And, and so it makes it more difficult for us to understand sometimes, and it makes it difficult some, sometimes for us to embrace God's value for community because we're just so on task. And let me tell you guys, I'm, I'm the biggest culprit at this. Sometimes it's like, you know, you're sitting down with like your kids and your kids want to tell you about their day and all the, the, the minutia of the, their day. And as your kids get older, it gets more interesting, you know, but when they're little, you pay them attention. But in the back of your mind, you are doing, you're thinking of all the other things that you've got going on. And that's not, I'm not saying, I'm not putting that on a pedestal. I'm not saying that's the way to be. I should be more present. And so we're, we're so steeped in Western individualism. So it can be a little countercultural for us when the Lord wants to plant us in the soil of community. Why? So that he can develop our root system. Why? So that we can bear much fruit that lasts. We got to remember that the soil of community is crucial if we're going to bear much fruit that lasts. The gospels make it really clear that Jesus was all about community. He and his disciples, they traveled together, they ate together, they worked together. 
And when scripture mentions, mentions that Jesus took time to be alone with the Father, he took time to go plant himself in the soil of intimacy with the Father, it, it shows us that he had this secret place lifestyle. But it also speaks to the fact that there was another part of his life that was not just him running off to be by himself all the time. Oh, I just can't stand being around people. I'm just gonna go have to go pray. That wasn't Jesus's attitude. His attitude is, well, I gotta go spend time with the Father because the rest of my time has been with everybody else. And so Jesus wasn't a loner. He had real relationships with his disciples. Jesus was their leader and he brought them in close enough to develop real intimacy with them. And Jesus and his disciples, they, they had arguments. They joked around together. They showed affection for each other. Jesus had a lot to say about the value of community and relationships in the kingdom. And I wanna look here in Matthew chapter five. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time ever. This is what he said in verse 23, Matthew 5, 23. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, like, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna make this sacrifice. You're not gonna give this offering just yet. Just leave it right there and go, go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. It's that important to Jesus that we are committed to living in healthy community. Some of us are in community, but it's not all that healthy sometimes. It's like, well, I'm gonna bring my offering and I don't care if my brother has something against me or not. We're in community with them, but it's not healthy. And Jesus wants us to be committed to living in healthy community. At the Last Supper, Jesus closes the meeting with a prayer that revealed really his deepest and, and most fundamental desires and the priorities of his heart. And this is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. So here Jesus, he's praying for us, that we would be one, just like Jesus was one with the Father. That they also may be one in us, that we would be one with the Godhead that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's some purpose here. And the, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may, may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Again, more purpose right there. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I love this, again, because we're seeing, we're seeing greater purpose in this oneness that God calls us to himself and the oneness that God calls us with one another. And, and the purpose is that we don't just, it's not about just like getting all the feels and all the goosebumps and like, oh man, he's great. And that's great, there's nothing wrong with that. I love when we, we get the feels and I love when we get the goosebumps when we're in healthy community together. But the ultimate purpose that Jesus said, he says, so that the world may know that you have sent me. 
that the Father had sent Jesus, that the world would know that Jesus is the Messiah and that have loved them as you have loved me, that, that the world would know the love of God. There's some purpose in why God is calling us to not just be one with him, but also to be one with each other so that the world can know the love of God. And then the other little thing he says there is, this is that they might be made perfect in one. So as we are seeking oneness with the Father, we also have to be in oneness with each other if we're gonna be perfect the way that God is calling us to be. Jesus is passionate about community and he makes this clear in his teachings, he makes it clear in his prayers. So if we want to honor, if we want to follow Jesus, his passion for community has got to be our passion for community. You guys ever heard the phrase, something like this, like me plus Jesus equals the majority. You know, me plus Jesus equals the majority. You know, I, I think that the, the original sentiment of this saying was that like, you know, when there's times where there's no one else to stand with you and you're gonna stand up for the things of God, then that's, God is with you and you can face any enemy no matter how great, no matter how scary it might seem because you and Jesus equal the majority. That's great, but I think that this, this kind of thing, this kind of idea has been warped sometimes and people come away with the idea of just like, well, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. And, and, and it's true that Jesus' sacrifice was complete and it opened up the way for us to experience eternal life. But it's not just you and Jesus. That's not how God set it, set it up. Never once did Jesus say, it's just you and me and that's it. You don't need anybody else in your life. Jesus never said anything like that. He's the one that you need for salvation, but when it comes to becoming his disciple, Jesus says, uh, you need these people around you. You need the people of God. You need the soil of community. Welcome to the family. That's what he says. A better phrase, instead of me plus Jesus equals the majority, would be me and the church family that God has placed me in plus Jesus equal the majority. You aren't meant to live life alone. You weren't meant to, uh, to, to be like a lone ranger. You weren't meant to be a lone wolf. You gotta have the wolf pack. <laughs> you, you were meant to be planted in and cultivated in the soil of community. Listen, I know in our, in our culture, independence and isolation are completely acceptable in our culture, but they are countercultural to the kingdom of God. They're not normal. Isolation and, and independence and, you know, I'm going to do it my way, by myself, that is not the way of the kingdom. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, the very first words out of his mouth were not, My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think sometimes we miss the significance of, of all of that is encompassed in that first sentence, the way that Jesus truly said it, our Father who art in heaven. We read right over that. We pray right over that. We don't really think about what it really means to say our Father. 
Jesus was very intentional. He didn't just, just accidentally say that. He's saying, it's not just, it's not just me and Jesus equals the majority. Our Father. Christianity, following Jesus, being a disciple does not work in isolation. It does not work in independence. It only works in the context of community. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he said that our growth as believers happens only in the context of community. Let's read this here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, and he gave some, he's talking about uh, Jesus's gifts to the church. So Jesus has five gifts that he gives to the church. We're not talking about the spiritual gifts. We're not talking like, you know, uh, you know the, the gift of, of words of knowledge. We're not talking about, you know, the gift of healing. These are people that God has given to the church as gifts. He says, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We, we call that the five-fold ministry. And he says, I've given them to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so that the church can be equipped to do the things that I've called it to do for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Sounds like to me that Jesus is going to be giving these gifts to the church until he returns. Because <laughs> there is always room for more maturity, amen? There's always room for more fullness in Christ. I have not arrived. I wish I have, but I have not. So until Jesus comes, I'm going to be still having room. And, and he brought me some gifts to help me. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And as a result, Paul says, we are no longer to be children. Oh, so you mean to say, God gave these, these gifts to me so that I wouldn't act like an a, a immature child. Oh, okay. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of people. You mean people are trying to trick me? Yes. Yes. People are trying to trick you. And God gave you some gifts and some people so that you wouldn't be tricked. They're trying to trick people by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But here's what we're supposed to do. Speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. That is, Christ from the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What is every joint supplies? It's grace. In the, just the preceding chapter here, in Ephesians chapter 3, we see that grace comes into our lives as we embrace humility and we embrace serving. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter explains this too. He, he, he talks about we humble ourselves so that God's grace would come into our lives through serving and through relational submission. This is what he says here, 1 Peter 5, 5. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
if we want to position ourselves to receive God's grace, then we've got to see that we've got to serve others and submit to others that are in the soil of our community that God has placed in our lives. A lot of people are out there in the body of Christ and they're trying to live and they're trying to lead without grace. And the reason they're doing it without grace is because they've refused to submit to others and they've refused to serve others. And what we need to realize is it's an actual expression of pride when we refuse to submit to others, to the, to the soil of community that God has put in our lives. It is an act, it's, it's an expression of pride when we refuse to serve in the soil of community that God has put in our lives. Because we're saying, well, we don't need anybody else. We don't need anybody else. That's pride. If we look around in our culture, this kind of pride is rampant. And, and it's not just rampant, it's like it's celebrated. We celebrate self-made men and women. And we love this idea that, that people can achieve success without anyone else's help. Why do we love that idea? Because that's what we want for ourselves. I just want to achieve success by myself. Well, why don't you want to do it with any other body else? Because you don't want to submit. <laughs> And you don't want to serve anybody else. You just want to submit to your own self and you want to serve your own self. And when someone says, I did it this way, I did it my own way without the help of anyone else, our culture applauds that. Oh, you're awesome. Write a book and we'll read it. And we'll do the same things that you did. Because we want that to be true for us. We want that. But we don't know the deficiency of that. It's, it's, there's a hollowness to it. There's a facade to it that when you remove the mask, you remove the facade and you go, ooh, this is not all that I thought it was cracked up to be. The book didn't talk about this. Pride, like I said, isn't just rampant in the culture outside the church, it's also inside the church. It's crept its way into the church. Even things like this. I mean, we could give a hundred different examples, but this was one maybe that you might not see coming. People get embarrassed to admit or say that they've seen a counselor because it shows in some way that they don't have it all together or that they're weak, or that they're deficient in some way. Listen, I wanna say this, that's nonsense to be ashamed of that. It's nonsense to be ashamed of the fact that you need help. We all need help. <laughs> Whenever we try to function outside God's design, we end up in trouble, we need to embrace the soil of community, we need to embrace this counter-cultural way of the kingdom of God because there's no self-made disciples. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing. We need each other. If you've ever owned a boat, uh, you, you probably know this. As a matter of fact, if you've owned a boat 
I hope to God that you know this. Because if you don't know this and you've done this, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You never start the engine out of the water. Don't start the engine out of the water. Don't start the engine while it's sitting on the trailer, the boat sitting on the trailer. Don't start the engine while the boat is sitting on the lift. Only start the engine while it's in the water. Why? Because those engines are designed to suck in or take in the water that they're sitting in and it cycles through the engine and cools the engine and then spits it back out. And if you start the engine outside of the water, it won't take very long for that engine to overheat and then you do some, some damage to your engine. Maybe just you total the whole thing, I don't know. And, and the same thing is true for us in the same sense that we're believers and we are meant to sit in the context of community. Why? Because it's in community where we draw the grace that we need to do the things that God has called us to do and to be who God's called us to be. And if we are not sitting in community and we're not drawing the grace, then we are gonna overheat and we're gonna do damage to ourselves. I'm not saying you're gonna do irreparable damage that God can never heal you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, why cause damage to yourself in the first place? So many people say, well, I just don't know what's going on in my life. It's a train wreck. You start asking them questions and you start making observations of their life and you come to find out they're not in the soil of community. They're, they've, they're in isolation. They're in independence. Or sometimes they're not in the right soil. They're not in good soil. They're not in healthy soil. Sometimes they are in community. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of believers who are in community, but it's not the church that they're in community with. It's the traveling softball team or traveling soccer team. <laughs> softball and soccer are not evil or wicked, but that's not where you find godly community. Your godly community is not with all the other dance moms. I heard someone gasp just now, <laughs> golly. I'm not saying those are wicked people. I'm just saying that's not that's not, that's, that's not the church. It's not the people of God with, with Jesus at the center. That, it's just a bunch of people with dance at the center. And we're gonna go to Disney World and have our, spend exorbitant amount of money for our, our kids to dance. And what do we have to show for it at the end of the day that changed anybody's life? Oh my gosh, I better stop. People aren't living in the context of community where they, like I said, they might be in community, they might not be in community, but are they in the godly community where they can draw the grace that they need to be who God's called them to be, to do what God has called them to do? And then how, here's the other thing, it's not just about you. Maybe you're part of the water in the engine for, some, for someone else's engine. What do you have that someone else needs? There's a pastor I know, um, we're close soon, 20 more minutes, no. There's a pastor I know who told this story about these fish that he bought for his 55 gallon fish tank. That's a pretty big fish tank, had this in his office. So we went out and got a couple of Severums, 
And for fish tank, severums aren't small fish. You know, like the little fish that I had growing up in the fish tank that I had, you know, were like this big. Severums are about seven to eight inches on average. So he gets these two fish in this gigantic fish tank. And he's like, oh, this is kind of cool, but I need more action happening here. You know, there's just these two big fish and they're just kind of not a lot to look at. So he goes again to the pet store. He's talking to the people there. He's like, man, I, I, I need something else. I need something more. And they start figuring out, okay, what could go with the Severums? What's not going to cause a lot of, like, you know, disharmony in the community of the fish tank? And he comes home with 10 of these little colorful fish that school together. So he comes home, he, he drops these fish in the fish tank. A few days go by. It seems like, you know, everybody's living in peaceful harmony. The two big fish, the 10 little fish, he loves it. The, the little fish school together and they're darting back and forth together. It's so cool. One day he comes into the office and he sees one of these little fish not in the school, kind of swimming off by themselves. And he's like, oh, okay, well, there you have it. There's that, you know, doesn't think much about it. The next day he comes back into his office and there's no other little fish swimming off by itself. So he goes, huh. So he starts counting all of his fish. One, two, three. He's got two big fish and now he has nine little fish. So the next day, he finds another little flit fish swimming all by himself. Uh, okay, we'll keep an eye on this, see what's gonna happen now. He comes in the next day, that fish is gone. He counts again. One, two, three, four, five. Now eight little fish and two big fish. A couple days later, this happens again. This pattern keeps repeating itself until there are only two big fish and no other little fish. You know, there's some significance to the fact that as long as the little fish were swimming together, they survived. But within 24 hours of them getting off by themselves from the, away from the group, they were dead. What does that tell you? Isolation is a killer. Isolation is a killer. We've had a lot of isolation this year. And it has killed a lot of people. And I don't mean like literally killed people. For some people, that has been the result. But for more people, it's killed some things on the inside of us. Inside the church and outside the church. Isolation is a killer. So you got to fight it. The enemy will do everything he can to isolate you. He might try to get you kind of hurt and offended so you go, you know what? No one understands me. I'm tired of people trying to control my life. I'm just going to do my own thing. And people leave the church. Or sometimes another way that the enemy does is that he gets you into this place of shame over some issue in your life that then you begin to withdraw in isolation from your godly community, your soil of community, because you don't want anybody else to know your shame. 
whenever you find yourself hiding from godly community or you're trying to push them away, you ought to have like this an alarm bell that goes off. And the alarm bell that goes off says, ring, ring, ring. The enemy is trying to isolate you and kill you. And then after that alarm goes off, the next thing that you ought to do is say, well, (laughs) then no matter how much I don't wanna do this right now, no matter how uncomfortable it is right now, I'm gonna go be intentional and go talk to somebody. I'm gonna plant myself in the soil of community. I'm gonna refuse to be isolated because isolation is a killer. I wanna tell you this. This is a powerful truth. Nothing destroys the power of shame or offense like choosing to move toward godly community. Nothing destroys the power of shame or offense like choosing to move toward godly community. I'll admit, choosing community is not an easy choice sometimes. Sometimes it's a difficult choice. It's messy. Community is messy. It's far messier than doing things on your own. It's draining sometimes. Wow, JD, you're making just a great argument for being a community right now. I'm just telling you like it is, okay? I'm telling you like it was for David in 1 Samuel 22, okay? Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's just slower. You know, there's this old proverb we've probably all heard. If you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go further, go together, right? Planting yourself in the soil of community and then choosing to stay planted, it's not an easy choice. It's hard sometimes, but here's the deal. If you wanna grow your root system, if you wanna grow it deep enough to handle the weight of the fruit that God wants to bring to your life, then you've got to plant your soil in, you've got to plant yourself in the soil of community. Why? Because that's just the way God designed it. Sometimes there's no better answer than that. <laughs> that's the way that God intended it. I've watched a lot of people who didn't wanna make the hard choice to do community. They didn't wanna submit their lives to other people. And today, They're just not being everything that God called them to be and they're not doing everything that God called them to do because they refused to access the grace that they needed that was only found in the soil of community. Like I said, there's certain things that God has for you, certain nutrients he has for your root system that can only be found in the soil of community. And as much of any of us have been hurt, as much of any of us has been frustrated and annoyed sometimes just by community, we've we've got to make the deliberate and purposeful choice to stay in it. Sometimes we might get hurt by community, but it's also the place where we get healed. Community is where we grow and where we thrive. And without it, we're not gonna be in God's plan. Not 100% anyway. It's God's plan for us, for every single one of us, to be planted and thrive in the soil of community. Someone in the church family wrote me this week, wrote me this card. And uh, when I say someone, I mean, I know who it is. I'm just not telling all y'all. 
This is, I just want to read one sentence they said that just like hit me between the eyes in the greatest way. <laughs> they said this, this past year, I've watched others lose hope, give up, and go the easy route, but not at seeds. God is working in this community. He's growing our roots strong. He's strengthening the bond that we have with each other. He's strengthening the bond that we have with him. He's widening the scope, our scope of who we see him to be and who we are in him. Just stand with me, let's pray. God, we just celebrate right now and we just thank you right now for what you are doing and what you have been doing. And God, we, by faith, we thank you for what you are doing in the future, what you will do in the future through this community here at Siege Church. God, we thank you that there's plenty of other great healthy soils of community around this uh, Middle Tennessee. God, we thank you for the great other life-giving churches here. We pray for them, God. We lift them up and pray that they would be uh, enriched in, in, in what you're doing in their life. We, we praise you for that. And we thank you again, especially for what you're doing here in this house, in this soil, with these people, with these families, with these individuals. God, I say individuals, but we're not just. You know, we sang the song earlier I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But can we sing that again? Ed, would you just come up here and lead, the, lead us in that song? Would you do that for us? And instead of just saying, I love you, Lord, would you sing, we love you, Lord, and we lift our voice? We love you, Lord. And we lift our voice to worship you, oh, our souls rejoice, take joy, our King, in what you Let us be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Yes, God, that's the cry of our hearts today. We're going to plant ourselves in the soil of community so you can grow our roots strong so that our root system will be able to bear the weight of the fruit that you want us to produce, the fruit that lasts. Jesus, that is, you are in the Father and the Father is in you, that we would be in you and we would be one with each other also, being made perfect, but also demonstrating for the world your love for them. Thank you. Evangelism, discipleship is purpose in our oneness with you and our oneness with each other. God, we just lift up to you now 
uh, I, I lift up to you now, God, just those who have been wrestling with this, those who've been feeling like maybe um, uh, they've been resistant to planting themselves in the soil of community. They've been resistant to submitting to the soil of community. And, or God, they, they've been ashamed. And so they, they're, they're in hiding and they're, they've been trying to push people away as people have been trying to get in close because they don't want people to know what's going on in the inside of them because of their shame. And I just pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would reveal to hearts what's going on in there and in, in, down to the deepest place of them. And God, I pray that you'd bring healing, that you'd bring light, and that people would repent and they would submit, they would serve, and they would plant themselves in the soil of community. And God, I thank you when you do that. Oh God, this is such great soil here that you're enriching us, that you're cultivating here, that you're gonna meet us here. And as we're with patient with one another and as we're patient with ourselves, God, you're going to do something amazing. You're going to grow us as disciples. And we're going to see the church increase, God, because the world needs what you're bringing to us in the soil of community. So, Lord, I just pray right now you speak truth and you speak healing to the hearts that need it right now in the name of Jesus. And I just pray over you that are dealing with this, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online. Lord, I just pray. I just pray over you right now. Just surrender to that. Just say yes to that. You just say yes to what the Holy Spirit's doing on the inside of you right now as it concerns the soil of community. Just make the decision. Just make the quality commitment right now. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, it might be uncomfortable. It might not be what I want to do, but I'm going to do it. I don't want to be one of the little fish that's here today and not tomorrow. God, we just lift up to you now our country. We lift up to you now these elections that we're facing. And God, we thank you that is no matter what unrest there is in the nation or in the world, there's no unrest in your kingdom. We thank you that your kingdom is not shaken. Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. We is our pleasure and our honor to serve you. Lord, I thank you that our motivation is love and not fear. Our motivation is faith and not worry and not doubt. So Lord, I just pray you speak to the hearts of people. The rest of the, you know, 100 million people that are going to vote tomorrow. Or, or on Tuesday. Lord, I just pray you, you speak clearly to these hearts in the name of Jesus. Lord, we don't come into agreement with unrest. We come into agreement with the peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that when we walk into places, when we walk into situations, when we walk into, the, into conversations, that we are carriers of your presence and we are atmosphere changers because Holy Spirit, you are in us. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and dwells in us and it quickens our mortal bodies. And that when people come into contact with us, they come into the contact with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you are not shaken. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing 
leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.